Amen. Praise the Lord. Turn with me, if you will, in your Bibles to uh, Mark chapter 11. We started a, a series uh, some weeks ago on um, uh, the subject of faith. We're calling it Faith Seminar. It's, um, um, well, I'm, I'm approaching things from a little different angle. Uh, I, I'm not teaching anything new on the subject of faith. I'm not sure that there is anything new on the subject of faith. Um, if anybody came up to me and said that they found something new on the subject of faith, I'd be pretty suspect of that. But, uh, but we are approaching things from a little different angle. And, and um, the, the fact that we've titled this uh, series Faith Seminar, it's really my intention to, to take my time and uh, look under every rock and maybe say things in a different way uh, for the purpose of uh, gaining greater understanding and uh, maybe making things click. I know there have been times where um, I heard Brother Hagin say things maybe hundreds of times and then all of a sudden he'd say it in a different way and the light would come on and I'd see it. I've had that experience with uh, with other uh, aspects of the word, reading the word for myself, and and so forth. So uh, so hopefully that's uh, what the Holy Ghost will use these um, Wednesday night services for for us as well. Let's start reading in verse twelve, Mark chapter eleven, verse twelve. And on the morrow, when they were come from Bethany, he speak, speaking of Jesus was hungry, and seeing a fig tree afar off having leaves, he came if haply he might find anything thereon. And when he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for the time of figs was not yet. And Jesus answered and said unto it, No man eat fruit of thee hereafter forever. And his disciples heard it. Skip with me over to verse 20. And in the morning as they passed by, they saw the fig tree dried up from the roots. And Peter, calling to remembrance, said unto him, Master, behold, the fig tree which thou cursest is withered away. And Jesus answering said unto them, Have faith in God. Another translation says, Have the God kind of faith. Well, that would be an accurate translation because I don't think there would be any other kind that God would have other than the God kind of faith. Amen? For verily I say unto you, verse 23, that whosoever shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed, and be thou cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass, he shall have whatsoever he saith. Therefore I say unto you, what things soever you desire, when you pray, believe that you receive them, and you shall have them. And when you stand praying, forgive, if you have aught against any, that your Father also, which is in heaven, may forgive you your trespasses. But if you do not forgive, neither will your Father, which is in heaven, forgive your trespasses. Now, there's a lot of things that we can say and a lot of things that we will say. Um, let me uh, preface uh, my, my comments this evening with, uh, with the, the understanding, uh, and I assume we all are of the same understanding. These are the most comprehensive scriptures and the most comprehensive um, discourse that Jesus ever gave on this subject of faith. Now, it's interesting because uh, this uh, takes place, interesting to me at least, because it takes place the last week of Jesus' time here on the earth. It's the day after the, the Palm Sunday event. This is four days before Jesus goes to the cross. So I guess my point is this. The question I want to raise is this. How is it the disciples have walked with him for three years and don't know what he's doing? Peter calls to remembrance and says, look, master, the tree that you cursed yesterday is, is withered away, dried up from the roots. No sign of life, no green leaf on it anymore. As dead a looking tree as you could possibly have. How is it that Peter doesn't know what he did? They've operated in the power of God themselves. They'd been given power over authority and, and um, uh, over sickness and disease, over uh, devils to cast them out and so forth. How do they not know? How is it that after three years of walking on the earth with his disciples, them witnessing him walking on the water, 
calming the storm with his words, casting out devils with his words, healing some people by just speaking the word, and all the other miracles that they've seen him do, how is it that they don't know what he's doing? Folks, that's an indication to me that just because you've been in a situation where you've seen things and had experiences in God, there's always more to learn about the kingdom of God. Now, I want to invite you to back up with me a little bit. Let's, uh, let's take a step back in this uh, um, circumstance regarding this event and take a bigger picture. Because we can talk about, and we will, we'll talk a lot about the, the words of your mouth, believing in your heart and, and speaking uh, with your mouth, confessing with your mouth and so forth. And those are the, the, the cornerstones. Those are the two legs of faith, believing with the heart and confessing with the mouth. But let's back up for a second and see, what has Jesus done? Well, I guess the simplest way we could identify what's happened is Jesus has superseded the laws of nature. And that must be, in in my thinking at least, that is the the implied question, even though there's really not a question that Peter asked, but there's the implied question of how would you do that? And Jesus responds by telling him the means whereby he superseded physical laws. Now, what was that means? Well, he calls it faith. He calls it a specific kind of faith. The kind of faith that comes from God. But I think we would have to assume or have to uh, understand. We can clearly conclude that Jesus operated under a different system. If we take a step further back and say, well, what about this thing called faith? What about this this um, uh, occurrence? What caused this occurrence? We would have to identify that he's operating under a different system besides the laws of nature. Otherwise, he wouldn't have been able to do anything. Right. What is this different system? Well, we see some, uh, uh, we get some hints because, for example, in Luke chapter 10, when Jesus sends out the 70, he sends them two by two into cities to go into cities before he would go in there himself and tell them about him, him and his coming, the fact that he was sent here to the earth. And he told them, he said, into whatever city you enter into, say, peace be unto you. And into whatsoever city receives you, heal the sick and say unto them, the kingdom of God has come unto you. So the power of sick, uh, the power of, of God's healing power that breaks the power of sickness, Jesus identified as the kingdom of God, right? Well, notice some other things Jesus said. Jesus talked about in, this, uh, in the explanation of faith, this, uh, this system that he's operating under that superseded the laws of nature or the physical laws of this earth. Those are interchangeable terms in my thinking. In operating under this greater system, this system that has greater power and is able to change things in the material realm, Jesus said that it was a matter of believing in the heart and saying with the mouth. We'll talk more about that as we go. Well, what is that? It's a spiritual kingdom. Remember when Jesus was asked by the disciples, are you going to set up your kingdom on the earth now? Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this earth. Jesus told that to Pilate. Pilate was concerned about the uprising that might take place. And and Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this earth. If it was, my disciples would fight. My followers would fight for me. But my kingdom is not of this earth. Well, what was his kingdom of then? He said, my kingdom is within. Within is a reference to believing in the heart. It's a reference to the spirit of man. Now, turn with me over to Mark chapter 4. We're going to come back. I don't know if we'll get there tonight or not. I've got enough for six weeks just for what I was planning for tonight. So I'm not going to get there. Don't worry, I'll let you out on time. Ryan, the piano player, has already left the building. (laughs) So I'll have to watch the clock for myself. Um, 
Mark chapter 4, notice some things that Jesus said. Jesus gives uh, what I believe to be the most important uh, teaching in parable form of anything that he spoke. He tells about the sower sowing the word. He starts in verse 3. Hark and behold, there went out a sower to sow. And then he tells about the, the parable. I don't want to talk about the parable. I want to talk about what it represents. Notice it says, after he spoke the parable, told about the sower sowing the word and the different types of ground and what the results were and so forth. Notice he concluded by saying in verse 9, he that has ears to hear, let him hear. Now that is an indication that not everybody's going to get this. And folks, I would submit to you that not every Christian is going to understand this. They could if they would have ears to hear, if they would choose to have ears to hear, but they won't. In fact, the majority may, uh, it may be the majority of Christians that choose to, to not to hear or not to have ears to hear. Notice in verse 10, and when he was alone, they that were about him with the 12 asked him of the parable. In other words, they didn't understand. Now, Jesus seems to be saying in verse 9, those that are able to understand, take heed to this. Well, the ones closest to him didn't understand. And notice how Jesus begins his uh, explanation. He begins in verse 11 by saying, Unto you it is given to know the mystery of the kingdom of God. The mystery of the kingdom of God. Another translation says the key to understand or to unlock the kingdom of God. In other words, Jesus is saying, if words mean anything, Jesus is saying the understanding that you gain from this parable unlocks everything that you need to know about the kingdom of God. Now, folks, we already know that the kingdom of God is identified as supernatural power, healing power that supersedes the physical laws of nature regarding sickness. Everything Jesus said that he did, he did because he saw his father do it and his father directed him to it. It was the father's power in him that did it, not his own power. What does that mean? Well, that means what he did, what he said and what he did came from God. What would that be if not the kingdom of God? See, even though the specific words are not used in some cases, we have to conclude that everything that Jesus did, every miracle that Jesus did, everything that superseded the laws of nature in any form whatsoever, even the teaching on the authority given unto mankind was part of the kingdom of God. Right? What did Jesus teach them? He taught them that the kingdom of God was like planting seed in the ground. Behold, a sower went out to sow. What did the sower sow? He sowed words, the word of God. Some heard the word of God and produced fruit. Others did not. And he gave the reasons. He gave explanations as to what uh, distractions and, and things we are to guard against. But again, that's not my point. My point is the mystery of the kingdom of God is to understand that words are seeds. Specifically, God's word is a seed that will produce results if it's tended to. Let's keep reading here. He said in verse 11, Unto you it's given to know the mystery of the kingdom of God, but unto them that are without, all these things are done in parables, that seeing they may see and not perceive, and hearing they may hear and not understand, lest at any time they should be converted and their sins should be forgiven them. Now that's a tough scripture for a lot of folks, but it very simply means this. God doesn't want anybody that's not committed. God doesn't want Israel to say, well, we have a right because we're descendants of Abraham. And so therefore we should have everything that's part of the kingdom of God. Jesus says, if you want me, you're going to have to come get me. 
In Proverbs, it says, through desire, a man separates himself and intermeddles with all wisdom. In other words, if you're going to find wisdom, it's going to be because you search for it. It's not going to just fall on you. So many times people want the things of God if they're easy to come by. And that's why you get so many people praying, Lord, whatever your will is. And so many people's doctrine, so many Christians' doctrine is whatever God's will is what will be. Jesus is saying, if you want it, come get it. And for that reason, in my opinion, you judge it for yourself. But I believe that has a lot to do with why Jesus did not stop for everybody that called out for him. There were several occasions where people would cry out for him on the way. And he'd continue on his way and they would come to him. Why? It's almost like Jesus didn't make it easy for anybody. Why? Because it takes a determined effort to press into the things of God. A determined effort. So he said, it's given unto you to know the mystery of the kingdom of God. The mystery of the system that overcomes this natural laws, of the, the, the natural laws of the physical laws of nature. Now, notice what Jesus didn't do. He didn't come to the fig tree and say, well, you know, it's like that sometimes. Not every tree is going to have figs. He's not going to say, oh, well, I guess I wasn't really that hungry after all. And he certainly didn't look at the fig tree and find it empty and say, well, I wonder if God's mad at me. No, he took the circumstance, knew who he was, knew what system he was operating under and cursed the fig tree. Change the condition of the fig tree. Change the circumstances in this physical realm. And Jesus said, here's how you work the kingdom of God. This is the mystery. This is the key that unlocks the mystery of the kingdom of God. That kingdom that will supersede and override all the physical laws of nature. He goes on and says in verse 26. Uh, well, it would be better back up. He said, uh, again, in verse 23, he said, if any man have ears to hear, let him hear. He's talking about this is after the explanation of the, the, um, uh, the sower sowing the word and the different types of ground and so forth. He says it again. If any man has ears to hear, let him hear. And then he said in verse 24, take heed what you hear. With what measure you meet, it shall be measured to you. And with you that hear shall more be given. For the he that hath, meaning ears to hear, to him shall be given. And he that hath not, ears to hear. From him it shall be taken away even that which he has. Verse 26. And he said, so is the kingdom of God as if a man should cast seed into the ground. Folks, I want you to understand the key to understanding the keys or the, the, the secret to the kingdom of God is planting seed in the ground now what seeds was he talking about being planted words remember jesus talking about mark chapter 11 verse 23 he said verse 22 he said have faith in god or have the god kind of faith same kind of faith he just operated in the same means that he just used and exercised to change the condition of the fig tree he said for whosoever shall say speak words in other words Whosoever shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe in his heart that those things which he saith shall come to pass, he shall have whatsoever he saith. He said it's all about words. It's about words. The key to unlocking the kingdom of God is about words. Are you aware that in Ephesians chapter 1, I think it's verse 3, it says, We have been blessed with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places. 
What does that mean? Does that mean all your blessings are in heaven? Well, folks, if I need healing, I don't care if it's in heaven. Because when I get to heaven, I won't need it. If I need healing, it's going to be while I'm here on the earth. So that cannot be what that means. Spiritual blessings, blessed with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places cannot mean all your blessings are in heaven waiting for you. Well, then if it doesn't mean in heaven, the place where God lives, what does it mean? It means your blessings, everything that Jesus obtained as a part of, of his redemptive work on the cross and his resurrection, everything that entailed is involved or included in that is yours in the kingdom of God. And remember, Jesus said, my kingdom is within. He didn't say my kingdom is in heaven. He said, my kingdom is within. In other words, it's the kingdom of the heart, the kingdom of the spirit. How do you access those spiritual things? How do you access that kingdom of God? That's what Jesus just explained. This is the mystery of the kingdom of God. This is the key that unlocks everything about the kingdom of God. It's all about words. It's all about words. Every bit of it is about words. Now turn with me back to Mark chapter 11. Uh, well, wait a minute. Don't leave Mark chapter 4. I didn't finish here. Skip with me down to verse 30. Let's look at this before we go. This is the third example that Jesus uses about the kingdom of God. Verse 30. And he said, whereunto shall we liken the kingdom of God? In other words, what's it like? Or with what comparison shall we compare it? It is like a grain of mustard seed, which when it is sown in the earth is less than all the seeds that be in the earth. But when it is sown, it grows up and becomes greater than all the herbs and shoots out great branches so that the fowls of the air may lodge under the shadow of it. Notice he said the kingdom of God is like planting a grain of mustard seed. I'm going to turn over to Mark, I mean, um, what's his name? Matthew chapter 17. Hold your finger here in Mark and I want you to listen to this verse of scripture in comparison. Matthew chapter 17 verse 20. This is after the, this is a healing situation. We won't get into the, to the details. But the disciples have asked him why wouldn't something work for us. And Jesus said because of your unbelief. Matthew seventeen twenty, For verily I say unto you if you have faith as a grain of mustard seed. Now folks let me ask you a question. This is this uh, Matthew chapter 17 is after chronologically after Mark chapter 4. When Jesus talks about faith as a grain of mustard seed, do you think maybe he remembers that he used the example of, of mustard seed, the kingdom of God being like planting a must, grain of mustard seed and it growing up to a giant tree? I mean, it, it, was Jesus just scatterbrained? Did he use different, uh, the same example to mean different things from, from week to week or month to month in his ministry? I don't believe so. If what he's saying is inspired by God, if he's inspired by the Holy Ghost, then it's going to be precise, it's going to be exact. So when Jesus talks about the grain of mustard seed in verse in chapter 17 of Matthew, he's got to be talking about something that fits and lines up with the grain of mustard seed that he was talking about in Mark chapter 4, doesn't he? Otherwise, how can he be God? I mean, I sometimes forget stuff that I said before and mess up examples and stuff, but Jesus had to be better than that, didn't he? I believe completely that when he talks about the grain of mustard seed here, it has everything to do with what he's already taught him about the grain of mustard seed in Mark chapter 4. So he said, for verily I say unto you, this is again in Matthew 17, 20, if you have faith as a grain of mustard seed, you shall say. Everybody say, you shall say. 
Now, notice what Jesus is saying. He's saying, if you have faith as a grain of mustard seed. Now, the whole kingdom of God is like a grain of mustard seed planted in the earth. And it grows, it's the smallest of all seeds, but it grows up into something big and it blesses everybody. That was the example he used, uh, using the grain of mustard seed as a type or a, um, um, the, the, the comparison that he chose to describe the kingdom of God, Right? Now he says, if you, have a faith, if you have faith as a grain of mustard seed, you shall say. Now, what does the word shall mean? We don't use shall very much in our modern day language. What, would, would, what word would we substitute for the word shall if we were in common casual conversation? Will or would? It's going to be either will or would. So what is Jesus saying? He's saying, if you have faith as a grain of mustard seed, you will say. If you have faith as a grain of mustard seed, you would say. So what is he saying? He's saying this parable, this example that he chose, the grain of mustard seed that represents the kingdom of God is based on words. Because if you've got that grain of mustard seed and it's planted into the earth, the only way it can be planted is through the words of your mouth. If you have faith as a grain of mustard seed, you shall, will say, unto this mountain, remove hence to yonder place, and it shall remove, and nothing shall be impossible unto you. Now, doesn't that sound a lot like what he said in Mark chapter 11, verse 23? Verse 22 again, he said, have the faith of God, or the God kind of faith. For verily I say unto you, that whosoever shall say, he's talking about faith, and he's talking about saying. Isn't that the same thing, just in a little different terminology? He talked about the grain of mustard seed. If you have faith as a grain of mustard seed, as a grain of mustard seed, like a seed to be planted into the earth, that'll grow up and be something that's bigger than anything you can imagine. If you have faith as a grain of mustard seed, you will say. If you have faith, you will say. If you have faith, you will say. Why did Jesus look at the fig tree that was unfruitful, bare, just leaves, no figs, and curse it because he had faith like a grain of mustard seed. Now, don't get to thinking faith in size, in terms of size. I don't think faith grows bigger. I don't think one person has smaller faith and another person has bigger faith. I think it comes down to weaker versus stronger. The Bible says God has dealt to every man the measure of faith. That indicates that we all start off with the same size. Well, my faith has certainly grown, but I'm not any bigger. So how does that work? My faith has grown because I've gained knowledge of what God has done for me. So my faith is stronger. How strong was Jesus' faith? He's the one that said nothing will be impossible unto you. He must have known that by experience. So what did he do? He had faith as a grain of mustard seed. He understood this kingdom of God concept. And so he said to the fig tree. Now notice what he didn't do. Jesus didn't stop and go search for parchments. He didn't run to the synagogue and say, you know, I need to look at Isaiah 55. Why? Because he understood something. So what is the kingdom of God like? It's like. Even the smallest seed planted into the earth through the words that we speak. And it grows into something that's bigger than we would expect it to be. Something that blesses everybody. Now turn back with me to Mark chapter 11 now. 
Having said that, having laid that foundation, let's look again at what Jesus said. In other words, the point that I'm trying to make is when Jesus saw a physical circumstance that was a hindrance to him, he understood how to change the circumstance because he knew the concept of the kingdom of God. He understood the system that overrides this world system, which is controlled by Satan. He understood the system, and so he didn't hesitate. He didn't pray. He didn't go to, to, to meditate for a while to figure out what to do. He had faith because he knew the word of God and believed in his father, so he spoke to the fig tree. He didn't agonize. He just simply spoke to it. He said, no man eat fruit of the hereafter forever. Now, why did it work for him? Yeah, Pastor Mike, I've tried that and it didn't work for me. Why did it work for Jesus and doesn't work for some others? Well, it's not the fault of the word. It's not God's fault. It may be that we don't understand what Jesus understood. And folks, I would submit to you that the operation of faith is most effective when you understand the concept of the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God system. Jesus did and he told you what it was about. Verse 22 again, Mark chapter 11, verse 22. Have the faith of God or have faith in God or have the God kind of faith, however you want to say it. For verily I say unto you that whosoever shall say unto this mountain, be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea and shall not doubt in his heart but shall believe. What are you supposed to believe? We know you're supposed to believe in the heart. If he says don't doubt in your heart, he's got to be talking about believing in the heart. What are you supposed to believe in your heart? Now, without taking time to to teach a separate uh, message on this, Believing in the heart very simply means to believe independent of your five physical senses. To believe something outside this world system. Because everything your five physical senses tell you, every bit of information that's ever, that's ever been gained from the five physical senses is information about this world system. There is no supernatural information that has ever come from your five physical senses. Nor can it. So in other words, if you're going to know anything about God, you're going to have to know it some way other than through your five physical senses. Something other than what you can see and hear and feel. Hear with your natural ear, I'm talking about. There are things you can hear with your spiritual ears. And that's what Jesus was talking about. He that has ears to hear, let him hear. If hearing was just a physical activity, then Jesus would have said, everybody that just listened to me would have known this. All it takes is just listening to what the words that I speak and all of a sudden you've got it. But that's not the way it works. It takes hearing beyond the natural ear with the ears of your spirit. Letting those sayings, as Jesus said in one place, let these sayings sink down into your ears. How do you let something sink down into your ear? He's talking about sink down from your natural ears to your spiritual ears. In other words, consider what's being said, meditate on it, and let it impact your spirit and not just your flesh. You know as well as I do that in any church service, you can have people sitting right next to one another hearing exactly the same words that are being spoken. And it has a greater impact on some than it has on others. Why? Same words. The difference is not in the word of God that's being spoken. The difference is not in the speaker. He's not saying one thing to one person and something else to somebody else, to, to someone uh, different. What is it, what's the difference then? The difference is in the attention of the hearer the difference is what the hearer does with the words when they make contact or register on their physical ears what do they do with the things that they're hearing do they consider what's being said do they stop and think about wait a minute god said this 
God's talking to me when he said this. That means I can have what he's talking about. That means I can have what the word says is mine. The attention that somebody gives to the spoken word is the thing that makes the difference in the fruit that's produced. Which is what the whole parable of the sower sowing the word's about. So now Jesus is saying, here's what I understand, Peter, that you obviously do not, even after three years of seeing me do miracles. Have faith in God. For verily I say unto you that whosoever shall say unto this mountain, plant his words like a seed, in other words, be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe in his heart, independent of his five physical senses. What are we supposed to believe? Believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass. He shall have whatsoever he saith. You know why most Christians don't get results in, well, let me say it this way. Every Christian gets a result of faith, the fruit of their belief by becoming a part of the family of God. And that's an easy thing. I don't know why that's easier than in other areas. But getting saved is easy for anybody that's just willing to accept the word of God at face value and confess Jesus as Lord and Savior. Believe in their heart. Believe that Jesus did something to bring the kingdom of God to mankind. Even though we have no five physical sense evidence, no natural evidence. I don't think anybody's gotten saved because of an archaeological dig. But millions of people have been saved because of the teaching of the word. A choice to believe and then a determination, a decision to make Jesus the Lord of your life, to confess him as your Lord and Savior. And that brings you into the family of God. But once you're in the family of God, God expects you to understand the system, to learn the system. Every one of us in our house have a system that we expect our kids to abide by. Now, if I go to your house, you may have a different system set up than I've got. But we've all got our own system. God's got his own system. It's called the kingdom of God. It's his, so it's his kingdom. So what is it that Jesus understood that enabled him to get results, spectacular results, in a short period of time? Jesus understood that the key is to speak and believe that the things that you say will come to pass. One of the biggest hindrances I see to people operating in faith or getting results in faith from the use of their faith is that they don't believe in their words. They're looking for God to do something. They don't believe or understand that the kingdom of God is about believing that your words carry power. Notice it does not say, Whosoever shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, but believe that God will do something about the problem. It's not what it says, is it? It doesn't say one thing about looking to God to do something about the problem. It says that the God kind of faith accepts and understands that your words control the circumstance. And when you talk about this in this way, sometimes people will get upset and they'll think, well, that's just blasphemous. You're just cutting God out of the equation. No, God expects you to be a partner because you're his son. God expects you as his son or daughter to operate according to the rules of the kingdom of God. I don't know about you, but I don't expect my kids to come running to me to do everything and help them do everything that they've been given to do. I did that when they were young. 
understanding that they couldn't handle certain things and that they were just learning. But now that they're growing up a little bit, I don't expect them to come to me to help them take out the garbage. I don't expect them to come to me to help them with the chores that they've been given responsibility for at the house. Well, why would it be any different with God? Why wouldn't God say, as my family, here's how the kingdom works. Now you work it according to what you know my will would be. Now, why would it matter to God whether a fig tree lived or died? It didn't. But it mattered to Jesus, and so that was good enough. See, things that matter to you, God backs you up on. Jesus didn't stop and say, okay, Father, what about this? Can I curse this fig tree? Is it your will? Is it in line with your will if I do this? No, Jesus understood that he was there to do the will of the Father. He was there to operate the kingdom of God according to the way that God created the earth. God didn't create any unfruitful trees. So Jesus cursed it. And what did he know? He knew that his words would come to pass. Now notice Jesus did not say, guys, here's what I did, but don't think you're going to be able to do that. No, he says, have the faith of God. In other words, you have this kind of faith. In other words, we're supposed to believe that our words have come to pass just like Jesus believed that his words would come to pass. There's nothing about this story where Jesus said, I did something that you'll not be able to do. Not one thing. In other words, in in fact, in contrast to that, Jesus said, you do what I did. I just showed you the example. Now you go do what I did. And it doesn't just extend to trees. He said, whosoever shall say unto this mountain. Now, the mountain represents a problem, just like the fig tree was a problem or a hindrance in Jesus' way. So he said, even something bigger than that. Whosoever shall say unto this mountain, whatever problem, whatever situation you encounter, that's a hindrance from you fulfilling God's plan for your life. Whether it be walking in health, whether it be walking in abundance, whether it be fulfilling the specific career or or path that God has given for you. Whatever is in your way, here's how to handle it. Follow my example. But if we're going to do that, we're going to have to understand what Jesus knew about the kingdom of God. Which, in my opinion, is why Jesus spent so much time talking about the kingdom of God. There's a whole other system out there, folks, that most Christians never even operate according to. Yet Jesus said, here's how it works, and it'll change things in the physical realm. Whosoever shall say unto this mountain, be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe in his heart. Independent of his five physical senses. No matter what the natural circumstances are. No matter what the physical laws of nature tell you. No matter how things normally work. But shall believe in his heart. That those things which he saith shall come to pass. He shall have. Now that's as strong as you can say it. Jesus said he shall have whatsoever he saith. Now again stop and think about it. Jesus knows that these words are going to be recorded for eternity. Jesus knows he's not just talking to Peter and the others that are in the group. He knows that what he says is going to be kept and revealed to us by the Holy Ghost for the church age, for the church to operate throughout the church age until he comes back for us. And he does not say this belongs to special ones. He doesn't say, now, now guys, 
I want you to know that this is supposed to work for you. But there are going to be some real nutcase Christians coming down the road. I don't want people to think it's going to work for everybody. No, he says it works for everybody because all of the children of God, no matter how nutcase some of them may be, are part of God's family and therefore part of his kingdom. And this is how the kingdom of God operates. You know what the Lord challenged me to do about six months ago? Lord challenged me about my words coming to pass because I was focused on his words. And, and I hope I'm not leaving the wrong impression, folks. There's nothing more precious to me than the word of God. I've dedicated my life to it. I've been operating under it for the better part of 40 years as an adult. Nothing is more precious to me than the word of God. But the Lord challenged me about believing that my words would come to pass. And he said it pretty much just that way. You believe in the power of my words, he said. Do you not realize that you must believe that your words have power too? See, we've got a lot of examples of that. Words are containers. They're seeds because they contain something. Just like a seed, no matter how big or how small the seed is, it's got a shell, it's got a covering. But the real power of that seed is what's underneath the covering, underneath the shell. And when that seed gets planted and gets watered and gets nurtured and whatever you're supposed to do for that particular type of seed, then that powerful element on the inside, that life on the inside of the seed, breaks through the shell and creates something bigger than the seed itself. Well, that's what you're supposed to do. You've got something on the inside of this physical body, which is the shell that it resides in, that when planted and nurtured will produce something much bigger than you yourself. And that's how the kingdom of God is supposed to work. The woman with the issue of blood came in the press behind and touched his garment for she said, she planted the seeds of her words. She said, if I can touch but his clothes, I shall be whole. Jesus said unto her daughter, your faith has made you whole. Your faith has made you whole. Your willingness to speak according to what you believe healed you. Now I know as well as you do, that it was the power of God's uh, the power of God's healing power that did the work, but Jesus didn't even credit His healing power. He said, "Your faith did it." Why? Because you operated according to the principles of the kingdom of God, and you got the results of the kingdom of God blessings, the spiritual blessings that belong to the children of God. The Syrophoenician woman, Matthew's account of the Syrophoenician woman, where she Jesus said, "It's not right to cast a takes the children's bread and casts it to dogs she said truth your lord yet the dogs eat from the crumbs that fall from the master's table matthew says it this way jesus responded and said for this saying the devil has gone out of your daughter for this saying the devil has gone out of your daughter for this saying in other words because of your words your daughter is now free from the devil's power why because words are containers Words are containers. Well, we know that Jesus said we're supposed to believe in our heart, believe independent from our five physical senses, and we're supposed to guard ourselves from doubting in our heart. In other words, speaking words, setting forth seeds out there that are according to the physical things that we see and feel. He said that's, that's the only restriction that he made here. 
or the only warning he gave us. The condition that he said was we have to believe our words will come to pass. We have to believe that our words will come to pass. Now, this is not a new concept. And if it were a new concept, he really dropped a bomb on these guys the last week of his life. But it's not. It's all throughout the Old Testament. It's something the Jews should have known. It's something that God made, made aware and made clear to Israel from their founding. He told them over and over again that their words were the key to walking in his blessings. Proverbs 18.21 says, death and life are in the power of the tongue. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. It's one of the scriptures that the Lord quoted to me. So I began. He said, very simply, you believe in the power of my words. Why don't you believe in the power of yours? Well, I kind of felt hurt because I thought I did. But he showed me some things and I realized I wasn't where I needed to be there. So I said, okay, Lord, well, what do I do? He said, use your faith. See, I'm real quick to use my faith on things that, uh, that arise in front of me, things that come up. But I don't know what it is. I seem to have, a, uh, have less of an inclination. I'm not as quick to use my faith to change me. Of the four times that Jesus spoke about using your words, speaking to the mountain or speaking to a fig tree, three of those times he's talking about you changing you. Only one of those times in Mark chapter 11 is he's talking about changing the circumstance. Three out of the four times he says, use your faith on yourself. So I did. I started saying, my words carry power. Because I'm part of the kingdom of God because Jesus lives on the inside of me. My words carry power. I said, the first time I said it, I was almost shaking, trembling. Because it's like, well, wait a minute. This is supposed to be about God's words, not my words. That's not what Jesus said. He said, whosoever shall say unto this mountain, be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea. And believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass. He shall have whatsoever he saith. You know why Jesus got results? He believed that his words would come to pass. Why? Because he knew how the kingdom of God operated. Do you? You're supposed to. The Bible is chock full of information given so that you will know how the kingdom of God operates. A couple of years ago, it it, uh, really grabbed my attention in Acts chapter 8 where it says, Philip went down to Samaria and preached Christ unto them. Later on in the chapter, it says, but when they believed Philip preaching things concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus, they were saved or baptized. I got to thinking, wait a minute, things concerning the kingdom of God. What do you tell unsaved people about things concerning the kingdom of God? We usually think about speaking about things concerning the kingdom of God as being teaching, Bible teaching to people that are already saved. What do you tell unsaved people about things concerning the kingdom of God? Do you walk up to unsaved people and say, let me tell you about the kingdom of God? No, you say, let me tell you about Jesus. We focus on Jesus. I'm not saying that's the wrong way to go. But Philip 
spoke to them about things concerning the kingdom of God. That has to include being a spirit man, not just a physical body. That had to include some of the things that we're talking about, about the power within the real man living on the inside, man being a three-part being of, or, or at least more than just a physical body. Had to be. And folks, if you think about it, unless you understand that man is a spiritual being and that he was spiritually dead, Jesus coming and dying on the cross really doesn't mean much to you. Are you out there? Man, I'm getting some strange looks tonight. I told you this is a little different. Jesus said, have faith in God. Here's how the God kind of faith operates. God set up his own kingdom. He knows how it works. And the way that he set it up was for the people of his kingdom, those that were of his family, of his kingdom, were to speak words knowing that their words carry power. I got to tell you, faith is an easier thing for me now that I have greater confidence in my words carrying power. Because like I said, I've been in this almost 40 years, pastoring close to 30 and I, everything that I've focused on, everything that I've emphasized is the power in God's word. And I'm not saying I've done wrong. I, I, I certainly want to emphasize that. But I've spent very little of my time or attention or effort thinking about my words carrying power. Yet that's what Jesus said we're supposed to believe. Now, in order for this to work, you have to be a person of your word. I know. Here's the downside. Some people never will get results in faith because they're not, they're not truthful people. They're not honest. They know that when they speak, their word is not to be trusted. You'll never get anywhere with God unless you turn out to be an honest person. Unless you determine to be an honest person. Because if you can't believe in your words, then your words will never carry the power that they were intended to. So what's Jesus saying to do? He didn't say talk about the problem. He said talk about the solution. He said speak to the mountain and tell it what you want it to do. Tell it what change you want to occur. And believe that your words will come to pass. Believe that your words will come to pass. Believe that your words will come to pass. And then Jesus said under those conditions, you meet the criteria, under those conditions Jesus said, you will have whatsoever you say. That sounds like a pretty broad category to me. Whatsoever means pretty much anything, doesn't it? He could have narrowed it down. He said, well, you'll have whatever you say if it's the will of God for you. No, those that belong to the kingdom of God are children of God. They're in fellowship with their father and they should know the word of God enough to know what his will is. And know how to use this thing called faith. Folks you're part of a system. That has greater power than. And is intended to override when necessary. This physical realm and physical laws. The laws that govern this physical realm. Jesus didn't say it was exclusive to him. He said whosoever. Shall say. Whosoever. Anyone who says. And believes that what he says will come to pass. Will have what he says. Folks, this is the same operation that Jesus, that 
well, yeah, Jesus is the one that created the worlds. This is the same operation that Jesus used when he spoke light into existence. When he said, earth be. When he called the animals forth. This is all through words. Everything about God's creation was made with words except man. The Bible says God fashioned him with his own hands. Took special care to make sure everything was just right. Why? Because that man was intended to be the carrier of the kingdom of God within him. The very essence of God himself. Your words carry power. Why don't we all stand together? Let's say that. Did you get anything out of this? Well, I hope so. Close your eyes and say this after me. I just want you to close your eyes so that you can focus on what you're saying. Not be aware of anything or anyone around you. Say this after me. I am in Christ. I am born of God. I am an eternal spirit. Made in the image of God. And recreated by the very life of the Heavenly Father. As such, my words carry power. I believe that what I say comes to pass because that's how the kingdom of God works. God created me to walk in the authority of the name of Jesus as a child of God himself. Therefore, whatever I say comes to pass in Jesus' name. God sees to it. And the devil's not strong enough to keep it from coming into being. Amen. Now, if that ever dawns on you, it'll do two things. It'll cause you to see who you are and it'll change the way you talk. You start focusing on the fact that what you say comes to pass. You'll cut out a lot of the talking that you do. The Bible talks about not only lying, which obviously we're supposed to put away, but it talks about corrupt communication, talks about worthless talk, talks about vain talk, vain words. Those are things that will hinder your faith. You're designed to be a carrier of God's word. Everywhere you go, every word that you speak should be a seed of God's word that you're planting for good. Amen. Amen. Well, God bless you. Thank you for being with us.